Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am the editor-in-chief for Imperial Esports, and do we have an exciting show for you guys today. We have changed up the formula. We have looked at what it is you guys like about our Guest Alliance podcast, and we're going to try something a little different this week as we try to break down uh, everything that we are most excited about uh, as we head forward with this LCS season, uh, both in reviewing and previewing for three teams this week. And I am joined on the other line by Slingshot Esports writer, Walter Fedchuk. How you doing, man? I like the sound of that. That's nice. Yeah. I, I kind of do like the sound of that. That's awesome. Hey, man, you, you get a title now? It's all, look, we've been, this is what we've been waiting for <laughs> for a while on this pod. And I'm so happy that we're finally able to to have that. You've been doing your power rankings, which have been Really great. If you want to see a power rankings that aren't just based on team records, uh, it's a great read. So thank you, uh, thank you. Highly recommend doing that. But we're going to talk about three teams today, both reviewing what we saw from them last week and then previewing what we expect of them in this week's matchups. And we start with a team that you and I believed in, but a lot of people didn't. And I think their success really caught most people off guard. And of course, I am talking about G2 Esports. Uh, obviously, Ocelot's team had a lot of big roster changes heading into the season, but it looks like all of it's come together really well. Walter, what surprised you most when watching this team this week? So, I have, what surprised me most was Trick. Mm. Like, uh, so, so put it this way, we watched him play in the... Uh, uh, we watched him play like seven games in in the LCK, and he didn't look great. Mm-hmm. He wasn't he wasn't terrible. He was part of the he was put into the roster uh, when C C J Antis beat uh, SKT towards the end of the year in that best of three series, and he didn't look amazing, but he wasn't awful. So I kind of had very tempered expectations about him in particular coming to Europe and and having any sort of impact, and he goes on and he wins the week one MVP just playing out of his mind on two different styles of champions playing graves in game one to like a a ton of kills a ton of impact and then shifting when G2 completely shifted styles to this like protect the 80 carry composition on day two of this very utility oriented Lee Sin making sure that he was getting kicks on onto onto Saphir in particular uh airwalks like making sure he was knocking them out of the 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 kindred ultimate it was just it was really well played and showed two different styles not only of the team but of trick in general so I, I was very impressed, and I can't wait to see what he does going forward. Yeah, when you get a 27.0 KDA in a week, I don't care who your opponents are. That's just good. That's just yeah. really, really good. And, you know, you touched on just how they were able to kind of switch up their strategy on a game-to-game basis, which is something that we don't usually see teams you know, even experienced teams do at the beginning of the season. One of the teams we're going to talk about later that has a ton of experience in the LCS kind of stuck to one strategy and ran with it. Whereas G2 showed some versatility here, and not just versatility, but an understanding of their opponents and why they should be playing this kind of way. And, you know, you look at their first match against Elements, it really felt like this was a team that just came in with a ton of confidence. They take the Graves jungle. They take 
this Ari, they you know, to get that assassination ability. They have, you know, the the Lucian and the Tom Kench and they you know, they basically just take this team that says, We are gonna come at you early and often, and you have to beat us. And the thing is they you know, it, it kind of showed me it was like they don't think elements can. And elements couldn't. I mean Ica got destroyed time and time and time again. They just picked on him and to me, it's a great example of how just understanding your win condition can translate to a victory. And then when they played Rockat, it was you know a completely different story. You know, the early game was rough; they weren't getting the same kind of plays. Rockat had taken a lead in towers and kills, but they still had that understanding of we need to pick a team fight or else we don't win this game. They let the Tom Kench flank. They let that you know they forced. Rocket into that fight, and suddenly they went from being down three thousand gold to ahead two thousand gold, and having taken the inner mid tower. Just that kind of massive swing comes from an intrinsic understanding of the game that most young teams don't have. And so, Walter, I got to ask: Do you think this is an infrastructure thing, or do you think that this is a guy like Kikis who showed so much of an, you know, an understanding of the game as a whole for? unicorns of love during his tenure really stepping up as a veteran presence so i think you're looking at both things i think it's the the experience of a player of the 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 staff behind it obviously you mentioned ocelot much much earlier in in the discussion about them and i think that while he's not he's probably not the hands-on owner that someone like reginald is for tsm he's still very involved in it when he's not you know working on the business aspects we've seen some videos of him back when they were a challenger series team of him talking about like, you know, coming down to their practice room and just, you know, watching a scrim, you know, it may be one scrim and it'll say one thing and then we'll let them keep doing his work, but he wants to be involved in some sort of capacity. Uh, Coach Joey Youngbuck, a veteran that we have joked about multiple, multiple times on our podcast of whether he's good, whether he's not. I think having that veteran presence helps because while he wasn't the greatest of shot caller on Copenhagen Wolves, he does have a lot of experience shot calling and can understand a lot of these scenarios that the players are going to run into and prepare them for it. Uh, but yeah, I think in-game, having Kikis, who was such an innovative jungler, uh, still have his voice be, be heard and still be able to impact uh, the game from a shot calling perspective. I think all kind of three of those people are are what's allowing Trick and Emperor and and Perks to really shine as players. And Kickus has done a phenomenal job in the top lane. Granted, he's played uh, he's only played Tom Kench, but he's played it he's played it very well. It's a very strong pick, and it fits him as kind of being a a, a unique champion with unique sort of uh, mechanics that he's he's just excelled on when teams force him away from the Tom Kench and force him onto something like a Fiora, something like a Nar, something like a Mundo. That's when I'm going to be very interested to see if he's really made the transition into top lane or if he's kind of just cheesing people by thinking that they aren't going to ban or pick Tom Kench. Yeah, no, that's entirely fair. Um, as far as Kickus goes, I do think that what was interesting to me about his Tom Kench is how he played it two very different ways in those games. You know, against Elements, he did a really good job of using that ultimate as a ganking tool, kind of coming into lanes where he wasn't expected, bringing some friends along the way. And suddenly, you know, a 2v2 became a 4v2, and it was some easy kills that would kind of turn things around. And it was very helpful to get Emperor going, who had kind of 
you know, had some greedy plays that had gotten him caught out before. But against Rocket, he was much more of a, I'm going to build tanky. I'm going to be the front line for this team. And I'm going to make sure I get enough CC down that the rest of my team can follow through on the damage. And to me, that shows an understanding of the top lane position, even without having the champion pool proven yet, at least in terms of the two ways that you can play that position. The one thing we haven't seen is what he does on a split push top laner. And that's going to be what's interesting for me. But for now, I think he's shown enough that I'm willing to give him some benefit of the doubt. And as for Joey Youngbuck, who we love making fun of on this pod, you know, one of the things we always said was the reason that Copenhagen Wolves kept him around as long as they did is because they felt like he was a great shot-calling presence, and they thought he understood the game on a different level than anyone else in their organization did. And right now, I believe that. I At this point, I am convinced that they might have understood something that we just didn't see when it came to Young Buck. And if this is the way he's going to have this team prepared every week this season, they're going to continue to surprise some people. But you know, we should mention this was not all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows for, for G2. There were some weaknesses on display that some better teams might be able to capitalize on. What are you most concerned about for this team heading into week two? So when Trick isn't on a, a very early, aggressive, kind of in-your-face jungler, um, on Lee Sin, he played rather passively in my opinion for least and especially during like the first 10 minutes uh rockout was really able to get out to a lead take some advantages get were able to catch perks out of position a bit they're able to really rotate around the map and grab objectives and that was one thing where uh G2, if I remember correctly had some problems is it, being like the first team to uh collect their objectives they didn't get first blood at all in any of their games. Uh, and then they split the two games of getting first dragon or first tower, and then both games they got the first baron because they had gotten leads. So the fact that they played so fast is kind of interesting in that regard. Of they're playing super, super fast, but they're not the first ones to take the objectives. Some of that can just come down to, you know, Kikis is a second late to get to the top tower, so their opponent gets the top tower down first. Some of it can just be, I don't think that they really are prioritizing trying to take Dragon. I think they're trying to prioritize uh, creating an advantage through the jungle position, whether it's, you know, blatantly invading, which Trick was doing a lot on Graves, uh, you know, going in, trying to find the enemy jungler, whether it's just being around your your mid laner, being around your, your bot lane, trying to just get advantages that way. They don't necessarily look for objectives to get their advantage. They're more looking for, for putting pressure on the lanes and, and creating control over vision, especially like in the river, um, in the river area. Yeah, no, I think that's entirely fair. And it's interesting that you touch on that speed point, because the thing that concerns me most about G2 is that Emperor hybrid bot lane and what that speed and aggression might mean against other more disciplined teams. You know, against Elements and against Rawcat, you know, they were playing two relatively passive bot lanes. You know, Saphir can be aggressive in his own right at times. And one of the things we saw is that, you know, it it had that kind of back and forth nature for a bit. It's one of the reasons why G2 didn't, go crazy right away, but it's not like Mr. Rollins and Spraddle were going to put 
a ton of pressure onto Emperor. And even they were able to get a couple kills out of it because they were so passive and almost baited him into outplaying himself. And that's something that worries me when we talk about some of the better bot lanes in the European LCS. Because if Emperor is going to keep going in like that, if they're going to keep feeling this need to play at that kind of pace and keep putting pressure on constantly, then what you're going to end up with is a situation in which Emperor goes too hard to achieve that goal and ends up getting caught out and the whole team is punished for it. And that's my concern, especially when Hybrid didn't do much to impress me. I'm not going to say he played poorly. I just didn't ever feel like he was playing particularly well. He, I didn't... he was he was definitely playing catch up to Emperor. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell Emperor was really dictating how he wanted to play the lanes. And especially against elements, there were multiple times where a better bot lane would have just, just killed killed Emperor. But he w- he like was testing throughout the entire laning phase. He was constantly like stepping forward and waiting to see if if Spraddle and Mr. Raleigh's were ever going to challenge him. And there was a point where there was literally one minion under the the Elements bot tower, and Emperor standing in tower range, daring them to do something, waits for the tower shot to to hit the minion, and then steps back. He was just daring them to do anything. And even against Rocket, Safir, yeah, Safir can be a little bit aggressive. You saw in the one Rocket victory, he was definitely da- you know, dashing in to get kills and whatnot. But in lane, him and Edward were not very aggressive uh, at all. And it was just this really weird phase of, like, you'd see Emperor keep walking forward, and you could tell Hybrid was, like, hanging back going, I, I don't think this is a good idea. Like, we're, we're going to get ganked. We're going to get ganked. And I just know from watching Emperor on TDK... He's just going, go, 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 let's go, (laughs) just go forward, forward, you know? It it is one of those things where this team could have just one speed. And that's not necessarily bad in this particular meta, but it does make me wonder what they're going to look like as teams start to get a bander handle on what they're capable of, as teams start to figure out what perks can do, because perks does look to be the next great EU mid laner, for lack of a better phrase. if they can catch some of these people out, if they can keep Trick down a little bit, if they can keep Emperor you know, contained or bait him in that kind of way, you know, a better AD carry, like I'm thinking a Reckless, who can kind of play a little bit more passively when he wants to, and trick Emperor into kind of diving in, that's going to be interesting to see if they have the versatility and the discipline, really, at the end of the day, to do that. They did against Rocket. They were very patient in terms of waiting for the fight that was going to turn things around in that game. You know, the you know, a lot of people would have panicked a couple minutes earlier, but they waited till the 17th minute, pulled that trigger and just never looked back. Yeah. But we'll see if they can maintain that discipline when they're playing a higher quality of opponent, we'll say, a team that we expect more of at this point than you the mean teams like they H2K. Do they play this week? Yeah, well, that's where we're going to get to. I don't think there's much to say about their game against Giants. I think G2 proved that they have a lot of good things going for them, and Giants proved that at least after one week, it doesn't look like they do, uh, especially in that top lane. Kickus versus Adam looks rough, but I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive into this game against H2K. What do they have to do if they're going to overcome some of the flaws that we just noted here? So. The thing with H2K that they were able to... H2K in particular was able to take advantage over their two opponents last week by just playing towers. 
by just playing the tower game, just constantly rotating. And it's a very forgiven thing that if you've ever, if you watched him play on SK, if you watched him play on on Gambit, he's not being as uh, he's being pretty dominant in the laning phase when he's matched up, you know, two v two against the the opposing AD carry. But he's not sitting in laning phase very long. He's very much let's rotate, let's go. There's another, there's another outer tower that's sitting up here in middle. Let's go, let's rotate, let's move, let's move. And whether it's him dictating it or Yonkos or Vander, whoever's doing the shot calling, there's this very strong focus on towers, towers, towers because it's free gold. And if you could snowball that to get you know a, a half an item advantage early on, just the mechanical skill that their three carries possess can be enough to just keep pushing that lead and, and getting the the hard gold you can't catch up on, like first bloods, like farming advantage. Every time a minion dies and someone doesn't kill that minion, that's lost gold. You can't really catch up on that gold. And that's what H2K was excelling at doing. While on the other side, G2 was trying to go for kills. They're trying to get as many kills as possible. They're leading the LCS in kills and playing 25 minutes games. They have the highest combined kills per minute, which is team kills and, and opponent kills at almost a kill a minute in 25 minutes. Granted, when their games spread out, that number will probably drop down to this like median average of, of 0.67. So rather than play this really aggressive turret game that H2K is excelling at, they're playing this very uh, kill-heavy game, which isn't necessarily going to translate when you're playing longer games because you're giving up farm, you're giving up all these objectives. If G2 is going to take a kill and H2K is going to take a tower, H2K is coming out ahead. Which is what makes this such a huge test for G2 is that they need to change their focus from being so kill-centric to now contesting objectives. You can rotate to objectives, and if you have good vision control, which G2 was kind of spotty on, you can, you can catch the enemy team out and get your kills that way, and then also get the objective. But G2 didn't do a really good job in just taking objectives without getting kills. So if you're G2 and you're looking for where you're going to grab kills, I mean, is it going to be onto Oduamne? I, I don't feel great about that plan. Yankos is someone who can match you in aggression a lot of times and has a very hard-to-pin-down jungle pathing that comes with it. Is Perks going to be able to style on Ryu? I doubt that. It doesn't seem like Ryu is the kind of guy who would get himself caught out in that kind of way. And then you're looking at the bot lane and... You know, you talk about discipline and being able to bait people into making mistakes. I mean, Forgiven's got to be salivating at that kind of opportunity. And that's where I, I have to ask, you know, does G2 have what it takes to switch up this mentality? Because if they want to accelerate the pace of the game, I think H2K's response is going to be, okay, sounds great. We are happy to play that way. We will push you kill for kill. We will try to match you in all these fights. We can make it as bloody an affair as you want because we believe in our own mechanical prowess that we're going to come ahead. And if they slow it down, then you run the risk of H2K playing this really heavy objective control game. And that's equally terrifying, I think, for G2. I, I, think, I think H2K is the team that is the worst matchup for G2. Mm-hmm. Because of that ability, because you are, you're looking at Forgiven, who is the king of laning phase when it comes to AD carries. And Emperor, maybe it's just Emperor has realized he's so much better than every other AD carry that he can just keep doing these sort of things. Like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't Emperor immediately just like walked underneath the elements tower. Like it was like five to 
eight minutes of laning phase of him trying to figure out, okay, when am I finally going to get punished? When am I finally going to get punished? He is going to learn in the first 30 seconds of being in a lane against Forgiven, you are going to get punished. Maybe he's more intelligent than we give him credit for because he does so many like Tristana jump in to get kills and all these crazy dashing into team fights and into trying to get a kill and then dies. Maybe he's more intelligent that he's going to see in that first minute of laning phase that, okay, if I take one bad step, I'm going to die and he'll play it back. I haven't seen that from Emperor yet. It's not um, his particular skill set. And then you're matching up against Yankos, who's the first, quote unquote, the first Blood King and, tr- and can match Trick's early aggression. So I-, I think it's just a very poor matchup in general for G2. Yeah, it's going to be a rough game. But at the same time, assuming they take care of business against Giants, if you told me at the beginning of the season G2 was going to be 3-1 and one after four games, I'd be feeling pretty good about that if I'm G2. Uh, and surely, if they can keep that game against H2K closer than we fear it might be, that's going to say a lot about where they're going going forward. Meanwhile, we've got another team that we need to see a lot from this week to know where they're going as this season progresses. And it's not a team that we thought we were going to have all these questions about. It's Orihen, the team that you and I had first in our power rankings on Slingshot, the team that breezed through IEM San Jose. What happened, Walter? They do not look prepared to play on this patch at all. I think that they're picking Ben. Fa- I think there's multiple things. I think, first of all, this past week, Soaz was terrible. This week, we got really bad Soaz. I am San Jose. We got all really good Soaz. He was he was amazing at I am San Jose. There wasn't a bad game from him, but this week both of these games were just horrendous. Just no map awareness, terrible positioning. They put him on utility or scaling top laners in Lissandra and Rise. Which, if you're gonna have bad games on, you can't have them on these kind of champions. I, Gamsu was to the point on Olaf where Lissandra was a minion. It didn't matter. This He would just alter and go, you're not going to do anything to me. You're a caster minion at this point. And he was just so far behind, it didn't matter. Uh, Amazing disappeared. Amazing looked like he had no clue of how to move around the map, how to gank, how to do anything. This was the joke about when you took away his best champions on TSM, what is he going to do? You're giving him arguably his better champions in Lee Sin and, and, and Elise, which are two of his best champions of all time. And he looked lost. He looked like he didn't know what he was doing. When you're trying to drag these two guys behind you, Power of Evil and Zven, you know, bless their little hearts. They were trying their hardest they could to carry. But when you're looking at it, you're looking at an Olaf who's already like, what, 6-0? and By the time you get to your first team fight running at you, there's not much you can do. So I... They just did not look like they were well prepared. And and I remember I do remember that Amazing and, and Soaz complained about like they didn't have internet in their in their team house, but it's not like they didn't find a place to practice. They did go practice someplace. So I they just looked awful. Yeah. This is one of those things where, you know, your best case scenario is, hey, Orihen, you knew the season was coming. What happened to your internet? How is there no backup plan? How are you as an organization that, you know, got third place at Worlds and all the money and sponsorship and everything that comes with it in the gambit about to leave the LCS because they can't figure out how to turn a profit and our coach leaving is enough to remove any chance of us having internet in our house stage? That's not where you should be as an organization. If that's your best case scenario, I have other concerns for you guys. So I don't, I don't buy that excuse as much as, as some other people might. 
And for me, so much of what you talked about with Amazing, it goes back to the point we made in our team-by-team preview about Power of Evil. You know, a lot of people got mad at us when we said that Power of Evil wasn't necessarily a full-on upgrade from Ex Peque. But for everything that Power of Evil does, the one thing he doesn't do is lane well. And we saw that in Game 2 when he brings out this Cassidin against H2K, and it just, I mean, it did nothing. He wasn't able to keep up early. He was never going to get time given the composition that H2K drafted to scale late. It just, it made no sense. It just set him up. You know, he knew he was going up against a LeBlanc. So what was his plan? I... I feel like they just really failed to understand how to properly utilize his talents, and that translated to amazing. You know, I I can remember it very vividly in my head. There was a moment he spent a literal 30 seconds running back and forth around the dragon pit between mid lane and bot lane because he literally didn't know where to go. And that's a huge concern to me. That's more than just not having played in a team house environment where you feel comfortable. That's not understanding just from a pure game sense what you need to be doing and what your team needs from you to succeed. And Walter, there's an obvious question here, and it's something that we put in our biggest fear category of the that team preview podcast. Does this come down to them not really having the kind of coaching staff that we would hope from a team of their caliber? I, I think so. In all honesty, I think it like that's part of the preparedness. Like I, I don't know who this coach is. I have no clue who this kid is. It's some random, if I remember them bringing it up, uh, he was, he's like some sort of life coach, essentially. Like that, mm-hmm. that's what his job is with the organization. It's not a strategic coach. Yeah. Hazel. He's yeah. not a strategic coach. Like, Oh, well, you know, Peke is probably going to help fill that role. But this was just a team that didn't understand the meta. They didn't try to play to the meta, which is this very, you know, th- this aggressive, you push the two side lane towers, as, as Emily Rand jokingly said, it was, you know, for, about North America, it was push the side towers, then awkwardly stand around middle lane. <laughs> it's either that or you play split push composition, and neither of the compositions that Orion put out were that. They were, you know, these kind of pseudo team fighting compositions, and then... Uh, it was a pseudo team fighting composition against Fnatic with Lissandra and Oriana and Ezreal to help peel. And then against H2K, it's this double scaling casted in a rise with Lucian as your only wave clear. You, you, you're going to get punished for that. And they did get punished for it. Like it, it's like I said earlier about H2K, H2K plays this like super tower aggressive composition and you pick a composition that has absolutely no wave clear. That's, that's not a, that's not the players are bad at the game. That's just they don't understand the game. And that's why you have a strategic coach. That's why you had Leduck. That's why you had Hermit. Is that they can look at the game objectively from a from a top-down view. And they could have told you after day one that this is how H2K plays. And you could have created a composition that maybe you still take a Rise or, or, or Cassidin. But you build into it some way to defend your towers. You, maybe instead of Cassidin, you go Victor. Maybe instead of it, you know, instead of casting, you go Oriana. Maybe you do something else to make sure you have the wave clear that's necessary to beat H2K Gaming. But right now, after two games, not having a coach is their biggest weakness. Yeah, it's rough. And the thing is that you have to keep in mind that when they were doing all of the things they did last year, you know, so as if you believe his version of the story would say that 
coaching is worthless. They never needed Hermit on any of these things. And we saw some people mention that when we talked about our concerns with their coaching staff. And while I understand where Soaz is coming from, and we had Soldier on the pod to kind of talk about that and some of the deficiencies in Western coaching right now. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, go listen to that podcast. It was awesome. And Soldier was really informative on that regard. But you know, one of the places where I, I did disagree with Soldier is that I, I, I feel like you need a coach that does whatever your team lacks. I think every team needs a coach in that kind of regard. And what Orihan lacks right now is the ability to spend an equal amount of time figuring out the meta or practicing. That's not that's not what you want from a team, right? You'd rather have your players focused on being the best that they can be and have some other guy take on the role of figuring out the strategies and how best to execute them. And maybe Xpeka is that guy and he's just finding that he's not as good at it as he thought he was going to be week one, and maybe he gets there. Who knows? Maybe it is as simple as they weren't playing from home and they're going to watch a lot of film and, you know, next week is going to be better. But, you know, even if they picked better compositions, I don't think better compositions fixes how lost Amazing looked. I don't think a better composition necessarily makes Power of Evil any better of a laner. And I don't think a better composition keeps Soaz from tilting as hard as he did once that first death came through against Gamsu. And that's my bigger concern is that if this team doesn't know how to gel as a unit, you know, you got a life coach. That's, that's great. But either you have a gameplay guy and you can focus on these life issues with the team, you know, with the people that actually need to be working on it, or your life coach needs to figure that out because that was not what anyone was looking for coming into this game. But, you know, they do have two games this week to make up for it. Obviously, they, they start with a Unicorns of Love team that looked great last week, that surprised a lot of people, I would say, with how strong they looked last week. What does Orihen need to do to make sure that they don't fall behind this kind of hot Unicorns of Love team right now? So I think both both games in particular, and the game against Vitality, this is the same thing, is they need to get Amazing and Soaz going. That was really what it was at... at I am San Jose was that you had Soaz playing these split push threats and he was, he was single-handedly winning games by, by himself at I am San Jose. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it came down to. And it came, it, it happened because amazing was paying attention to his lane was getting him ahead was, you know, letting the other two lanes operate themselves and really focused on making sure that Soaz was in the best position to succeed. And both of these teams, Unicorns of Love and Team Vitality have really strong jungle top lane synergy. Uh, between Diamond Prox and Vizichachi and Unicorns of Love and Shook and Cabo Shard on Team Vitality. All the games that they won were centered around the jungler going and making sure that the top laner was put in a place that he could succeed and he could control the lane and then transition into this rotational play with the other three members of the team. That's what the game is really about right now, is making sure your top laner can handle a split push, whether it's your split pushing or defending a split push, and then rotating around the rest of the map because top laners still use teleport despite the nerfs. That's what the game is about, and Orion, so as in particular, just didn't play that kind of style. So whether it's Peke, whether it's the, the life coach, whoever it is that's talking to Orion needs to spend this week getting amazing and so as prepared for that type of top lane and, and jungle synergy. Yeah, and that's really what this comes down to. You know, I 
understand that when you look at Power of Evil's landing numbers, there's an instinct to say, oh, we need to get Power of Evil going. We need to spend more time in the jungle getting him ready to go. But I think that's a suboptimal use of your strategy and your time as far as preparing for these games week after week. Because let's face it, Power of Evil's champion pool, when he's playing at his best, he's not playing a whole bunch of early game-oriented champions. Now, you could try to force that on him and force him to be kind of you know the next version of Ex Peke, but I don't think that's a great use of your Power of Evil. In fact, I think it's kind of taking away what makes Power of Evil so interesting. But when you choose to take that on, what you have to do is put enough pressure on other parts of the map that you can get away with it. Instead of trying to make this weak point of Power of Evils and make it manageable, but lose that advantage you get with Soaz, focus on getting Soaz going. Focus on getting Sven and Mithy, who we haven't even talked about yet because they made such little of a difference in these two games this week. You know, get those guys going, the guys that have been the centerpiece of all of your plans, and trust that Power of Evil can be that mid-to-late game teamfight threat that he was able to do on Unicorns of Love with a lot less talent around him. And that would be, I guess, where I'd go with it. Of the two games that they've got this week, Walter, which one are you more worried about for Orient? Uh, I think the Vitality one. I think Team Vitality is a little bit better team than than Unicorns of Love. I still have questions about Fox and Steelback and, and their consistency. Where Nuke Duck and Charnin are are just better players, uh, <laughs> more consistent. And Nuke Duck, Nuke Duck ramps up like he wasn't great in Week One, but he does ramp up through the season and get better and better with each week. And Charnin is just. A, Charnin is like this very kind of cleanup y AD carry, and it's just not really that meta, but he's still surviving in it, where he's still doing what his team needs him to do, whether it's utility, whether it's these these aggressive rotations to take towers. Like he's a very plug and play AD carry where he can pretty much do everything. And I probably was a little bit more harsh on him in the offseason than he, he deserved. Like after watching him play week one, I I kind of had to reevaluate my thoughts on him. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Vitality handles things. Because what, what we saw in week one is that Vitality is going to be that Feast or Famine Shook team to a certain extent, right? Uh, when Shook really struggled against Rocket because of the counter-jungle pressure that Airwalks was putting on, that was really hard for Vitality to get through. On the other hand, Amazing's counter-jungling is not necessarily his strength. He's a much better ganker than he is counter-jungler. And I think that if you let Shook farm up and get to the point where he wants to be, that's a problem. And Hyarnan and Causing are going to do more than enough. I think Nukeduck will play his lane just fine. So then it's Cabochard versus Soaz, and right now, I would take Cabochard. Uh, that's, in, in this meta, you take Cabochard, absolutely. In, in this meta, that's a very good caveat to put in. And, you know, this is the thing that I will say for Orihan fans who are listening to this and are horrified that we have all these concerns for their team. If they emerge one and three from this week, the last five teams that they will be playing at the, after that point will be Elements, G2, Giants, Splice, and Rocket. They, they had the roughest first two weeks. This, it's insane. I mean, they may be playing four of the top five teams in Europe in the first couple of weeks, depending on how highly you think of G2 
and whether you think uh, Unicorns of Love are overrated or not, I I think that we can calm down on the panic button. I'm not ready to hit that yet. I think yeah. people that are putting Orihen in the bottom half of any power rankings are freaking out a little bit too much. There's still just way too much talent here to ignore. The key is that they have to remember why that talent came together and why that talent worked. And with Orihen, it was because of the top and jungle synergy that they had. And it was because the bot lane was allowed to carry games for them. And they need to get back to that point. They need to remember who they are and what their identity is and not let the addition of Power of Evil, which is supposed to be an upgrade, distract them from the things that they do really well. But we're going to move on. We have one last team we want to talk about today, uh, and that is Fnatic. Fnatic picked the same composition two times and had two different results. It is kind of uh, a best-of-time, worst-of-time scenario for them. Walter, let's start with the composition they picked. What is it you liked about their strategy heading into this week one, and what is it that you didn't like? So basically their composition is using... Everyone except Reckless on Lucian, and you can even argue his ultimate can be used for this, to create control over area to then allow the team to take objectives, whether it's Towers, whether it's Dragon, whether it's Baron, whether it's Rift Herald, whether it's a blue buff or red buff. Even by having wards on a flank and seeing the Zac charge up his elastic slingshot and get ready to jump in on, onto a tower, that causes teams to back off. It forces a team to walk backwards because Zach, Zach's Elastic Slingshot, when you max it at level 9, has, has this insane range. You can go from the very back of Dragon Pit, slingshot yourself all the way to your red buff if you're, if you're on blue side, and do the same thing from Baron to red buff on red side. It has this huge length. So even if they have a ward and can see you charging it up, it makes them pause about whether they want to stay there under that tower and defend because you're Zach and you have a, a passive that allows you to survive you know, unless they hit your blobs like five, seven times total. <laughs> and you can, die, you can tower dive them like that, so they're either going to stay and fight and risk a tower dive happening, or they're going to back up and give you a free objective. And you can use Poppy to do the same exact thing. You can use her new ultimate to knock them away, literally knock everything away from the tower and disengage team fights. You can use LeBlanc's change in the chains and her distortion to jump in and out and do all this damage and push people off. You can use the culling from Lucian to do this. You can use Olaf literally having an ultimate that immunes him from CC and just run at them. And Fnatic, unlike Orion, put a huge, a huge emphasis on, in this game against Orion, getting Gamsu ahead. And got Gamsu, like I said earlier, to the point that Soaz was essentially a caster man, and he did not care that Soaz was in his lane. And he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and joining for teamfights and killing the backline with impunity. It was really interesting to see Fnatic's kind of theory crafting come into practice here. Because a lot of the teams, you know, with Orihen, they got away with it because Orihen's compositions, as we mentioned before, were very weird throughout this whole week. But against Vitality, they kind of presented a very good counter argument, which is okay, you have a lot of guys that can come out of nowhere, but there's not a lot of hard CC on your composition. So we'll just take all the hard CC. We'll take a Morgana. We'll take. And Elise. We'll, we'll have all of these champions, and we'll just stop you 
from being able to run at us unless you want to spend your Olaf ult on it, which, by the way, that's where we're going to put all our pressure on in the early game to make sure that Olaf never gets to the point where he's as terrifying as he was against Orihen in game one. And for me, it was, first of all, a really interesting adjustment from Team Vitality. I think that Sean's was a guy that after day one, we were worried maybe Vitality doesn't have a coach for the future. And the way that he adjusted for for this game, I think, shows that maybe he does have a lot more game knowledge than we originally thought. But regardless, when it comes to Fnatic, I think it's it, it says a lot about the organization that they thought they could play the exact same composition two days in a row, and no one would have an answer to it. Do you think that that's just, you know, Daylor coming up with a system that he believes is the most optimal way of playing and just saying, don't mess with a good thing? Or do you think that plays into a potential, I, I don't want to say hubris, but that kind of, we believe that if we play the style of game we want to play, we are unstoppable attitude. So I don't think that the the Elise and the, the Morgana like cues, uh, the skill shot crowd controls, are the reason that this failed. I think it was just that they took advantage of Gams to have got him to the point that he was worthless. And that he was dealing a ton of damage in that in that first game, in the game against Orion, uh, that all of a sudden disappeared because he couldn't just run, you know, run at the enemy team and, and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't think the crowd control aspects were, nef- were necessarily the issue. I think it was more that they held Gamsu down, and that is one of my worries for Fnatic, is that if Gamsu is going to be this very inconsistent player, where you know what, what's the difference between having him and Huni? Huni, at least for the, the majority of the year, was rather consistent up and towards the end where he started to get a little uh, carefree on his, you know, oh, I'm just going to run in here and, and do nothing, essentially, and get caught out. To, to make a huge point here about the damage, and I just went and looked this up. In the game against Orion, the Olaf did 23.3k damage to champions. 22,500 damage to champions, essentially. In the game against Vitality, which, yes, granted, it was a much, it was a much quicker game. It was 27 minutes as opposed to 35 minutes. Uh, he only did 4,000 damage. Yeah. It's a that, problem. that, I think, is huge. And it wasn't because they had crowd control and they were forcing him to like use his ultimate to, you know, to do anything. It was just that they camped him and they held him down, and that was really intelligent. And I think that's probably the way to beat this team is just keep going after Gamson. Well, I guess my only argument to that would be that you really need to look at well, why didn't Gamsu get ahead? And for me, it was that. The ganks from Spirit weren't nearly as effective as they'd been in Game 1. Now, in both games, you look at Spirit's stat line, and they were great. He was ahead in CS in both games while still getting kills off. But a lot of the reason that Gamsu got ahead in Game 1 is that these elastic slingshots were coming out of nowhere, and they were catching people off guard, and no one had a way of responding to it. So it would grant Gamsu the kill or the assist, and Gamsu would get more and more ahead, and he'd get some free farm until the next time they'd come back, and then Spirit would come in, slingshot again, and you know rinse and repeat. And the problem here, and this is why I bring up the, the CC so much, is that if you look at the way that Vitality planned it, you know, whenever they were going to try to gank Cabochard, Shook was there with the Elise, uh, or Nuke Duck was roaming and he had the Rune Prison, or Kazing was there and he had either the Binding or the Black Shield to minimize a lot of that, you know, initial damage burst. 
And when you have the ability to minimize how much spirit could hurt you, then it's left to Gamsu to do it on his own. And I think that was the bigger difference to me between game one and game two is that in game one, spirit just put him in this place where Gamsu could pretty much only succeed. Uh, he was given that lead and then he made the most of it, which as Tim Sevenhusen pointed out on, on Twitter has not always been the case in Gamsu's career. There have been plenty of times where you've gotten him ahead and he hasn't done anything with it. And he deserves credit for taking that lead and doing a ton with it in this game. But for me, it was less that Vitality had some ability to outplay Gamsu in some way or, or make sure that, you know, to keep Gamsu down with their own kind of plays, but more of an understanding of this is what Spirit has to do to get Gamsu ahead, and we're going to stop it with CC, and even more importantly, we're going to stop it with Vision Control. And that's the point I want to I get to next, because Fnatic in that game against Vitality, I think, had some issues exposed as to their vision control. So much of what Vitality did as far as preventing those ganks came from knowing they were coming in the first place and being able to back off. And obviously that free Baron that Vitality took around the 24th minute of that game, there were no words from Fnatic's side on that. So Walter, what does the result of that Vitality game say about Fnatic's vision control and what we can expect from that side of their play going forward. I, I mean, I disagree. I, I don't think vision control really played that much of an impact in it. I think it's as simple as that Cabo Shard and Shook beat Gamsu down, got enough of a lead, and Gamsu couldn't do what he did in game one. Because when you look at it, Fabivan was not playing LeBlanc as this super high damage, I'm going to assassinate people, I'm going to assassinate people. He was playing it as this poke, poke, poke. His only kill that he got on Kasing was he just bursted him down because it's a squishy Morgan and he's, he's LeBlanc and he's ahead and he's huge. But he kept trying to play against like Nuke Duck and play against the tanks of poke, 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 get them down to a point that he could burst them. And Vitality was just playing smart enough that they would just back off and rotate in the misfortune wave clear. I don't think it was anything to do with the the vision control of denying spirit the ability to elastic slingshot in. There were a couple of mistakes where there's one in particular where spirit elastic slingshots in because he thinks Noxiac is going to engage with him and Noxiac decides to walk back. There are some communication issues that of course that's going to happen in a multilingual and a new roster. <laughs> and I think that was more of an issue than anything vision control related. But I think it's literally as simple as the, the composition hinged on Gamsu playing this Olaf to go in and interrupt the back line of, of enemy teams, and they were not able to get Olaf ahead of the Fiora. I think it is that simple. I guess the, the reason that I'll disagree here, and I, I won't harp too much on it because uh, obviously you know, you've come down on, on the other end, but I do think it's worth noting that when Fnatic gave up that essentially free Baron, that was game over, by the way. We knew Vitality had taken the outer and inner towers. The only way they could crack the base was to take the Baron. And somehow Fnatic had no vision on the Baron. And the thing that stood out most to me is they had three upgraded sweeper lenses at that time. They had no way of getting vision on that particular area of the map. When they won the previous team fight, what did they do? They went to go get Dragon and then did a whole bunch of sweeps around their red side of the jungle so they could place three pink wards in that area and had nothing around Baron. And I do believe that is a mistake. I do believe that is a lack of understanding 
of what it is that can lose you the game at that point. And I think it came from the fact that throughout the entire game, the corners of the map that Zack is most likely to slingshot from were warded by Vitality the whole time. There was never a gank that I saw from Spirit that Vitality didn't have vision on before it happened. That's why Cabochard was always pulling back in lane whenever Spirit was coming his way. And that, to me, is a vision thing. That's Fnatic not being able to get the sweeper lens in the early game that they would have needed to make those ganks work. And it's then Fnatic overreacting, trying to get those sweepers and regain that vision control too late. And in the meantime, they don't have any words to place on the only objective that can cost them the game, and it did. And to me, that shows a lack of understanding of your win condition, and more specifically, your loss condition. That And you know, this is something I'm focusing a lot on in my article, and I think that's something that Fnatic really needs to look at going forward, is how do they want to approach the vision game? Because if they're going to pull off a running-at-you-all-the-time composition, well... Element of surprise really helps with that. And that means making sure you're clearing more words, and that makes sure that means making sure that you're placing more words. You cannot get away with this against teams that are able to properly prepare because you're not getting the element of surprise that makes those compositions work so much. I'll I'll agree on the Baron point. Not having the blue triggets or or warding Baron at all is definitely a mistake. But <laughs> I think at that point where it became that was like the final mistake that was the final straw that you know broke the camel's back essentially mm-hmm. but i think i don't think they could have won team fights at baron anyways i just think that gamsu being that far behind ruined any ability for them to team fight yeah, and that's you can't fair. go split push against fiora so they're kind of in this catch 22 of how do we get back into this game and because vitality could have literally danced around baron and just let cabo shard go kill gamsu on uh, in a side lane and push and get an inhibitor, which they kept doing. Like even after they got the Baron, they kept spreading out. They put Nuke Duck in the mid lane. They put f- the uh, Cabo Shard of Fiara in the top lane without a teleport, and then rotated Nuke Duck back into bot. And they just pushed the bot inhibitor with Baron, and then uh, then Cabo Shard rotated down, pushed the mid lane in farther, and like rotated like that. Like they were in this situation where I think they were in a lose lose situation no matter what they were doing. And I think it came down to those first two dive ganks onto Gamsu that gave Cabochard the lead. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, around Baron, we've seen enough games thrown that I, I think you have to play around that hope that you can get the steal and, and see what happens next. But yeah, at that point, they were pretty far behind. And the week does not get easier for them. They play H2K on day one, and then they immediately move on to the Unicorns of Love on day two. Both of these teams are 2-0, and oh. Walter, I'm assuming you're more worried for them against H2K. What does Fnatic have to do to be able to catch a team like that off guard and pull off the victory here? So the 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 big downside that they have is that H2K is among the best when it comes to vision control. They're number one at wards placed. They're, they're third in wards cleared, fourth in wards cleared just behind Giants. Basically, they're very good at controlling vision while they're doing all these rotational plays. So I think Fnatic definitely has to come at them with a different strategy. They can't play the same, all right, let's just play Olaf and have Spirit play Zach and just run at you type thing. They need to come up with another strategy. But if there is a coach that I would trust to come up with another strategy, it'd be, it'd be Daylor. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that he's also playing against one of the other really established coaches in the West, and that's Prolly. 
and probably admitted in, in his interview after they won, I think it was on day two, where he was like, I'm wrong. I'm wrong more. They'll tell me I'm wrong. Jungle pathing should be like this. And Yanko, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and Yanko still tell him why it's wrong and give him 15 different reasons. And he goes, oh, okay. In that very like, you know, probably way where he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> where he's got that smile. And then he'll, he'll be like, I'm talking to Vander and Forgiven about, you know, oh, well, why, why don't you do this in lane? Or why don't you do this? And Forgiven and Vander will do the same thing. They'll give me 15 reasons why I'm wrong. And he'll go, oh, okay. He's like, I'm wrong more of the time, but I'm still doing my job by making sure all this discussion is happening. He's like, there's been a couple of times that I'm right, but most of the time I'm wrong. And that's kind of what a coach needs to be there for is to bounce ideas off, of, to give this fresh perspective. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. If you can admit you're wrong, you're a better man than most people. <laughs> And, and it is interesting to kind of see how that's going to break down because I do feel like as the season goes on and probably learns more and more from these guys, it's only going to get scarier from here. And, and meanwhile, with Fnatic, I, I think that's another team that will get scarier going forward. But the problems they have right now, I, I think I, – I don't think it comes down to coaching. I think it comes down to – building up some of the synergies in play, getting Reckless to feel more confident making plays because he was uh, non-existent in that Vitality game. I mean, we didn't even bring up the fact that he had no kills and no assists. He completely disappeared. There was, he might as well have not been in the game, and that's concerning from a guy who was the number one player in KDA and all these other crazy damage stats um, last split. That's, that's a concern to me. Uh, if you're going to put that much pressure on Gamsu to carry... That's a lot of weight for him to pull, and you can probably get away with it against Unicorns of Love. I feel pretty good about Fabiven versus Fox, for instance. I think Steelback, people will start banning out that Ezreal and say, okay, what else you got? Uh, and I would be very curious to see what he has planned. But, you know, the 3-1 and one that Fnatic, you know, if they could somehow beat H2K and Unicorns of Love, I think you feel really great about where Fnatic goes going forward. If they end up one and three, because Visasachi can battle Gamsu in the top lane, Diamond can mess with Spirit with his counter jungling, you know, Steelback has had some pretty nice games, then you start to worry about where Fnatic goes next. But for now, I think you take the good with the bad. You, you look at last week as an example of the best of times and the worst of times, and you kind of see where it goes from here. Uh, is there anything more you want to say about Fnatic before we move on to the gambling lines? No, I, I I think they're a better team than we were giving them a little bit of credit for, but I think Gamsu needs to become more consistent and they really need to learn how to play when he is not successful in lane. Yeah, and, and for the record, we're being critical about all these teams because that's kind of the point of a podcast like this. You know, <laughs> if, if you're a fan of these teams, you're like, oh my God, you're being so mean, whatever. It's like, it's week one. They've got eight more weeks to figure all this stuff out. If they were playing perfectly at week one, I'd be concerned. Uh, so, so please, you know, just take it for what it is. These are the, the things that we're noticing, the things we'd love to see improve. Uh, all three of these teams could look very good after next week and we'll be watching them very closely. But for now, let's look at some gambling lines. Uh, all of these today are from Pinnacle Sports. Usually we like doing the unicorn lines, but they had a little bit of technical difficulties today. So we have gone with the backup plan. We are looking at Pinnacle. Hopefully it doesn't change the way that we tried to calculate what this week's odds were going to be based on what we saw last week. But we'll find out. And Walter, we start with Giants versus G2. Where do you think the line is on this? Uh, and why? I guess we should G do why. With all this. 
G2 had a really, really good week. They played a lot better than I expected in two pretty, uh, pretty easy matchups, I, I guess. But they played much, much better. They had the quickest average game time out of all of Europe, which says something to me. Uh, so I have the line G2 minus 200. Okay, I'm going to get this one. I, I had the same reasoning you did, but I also know that for whatever reason, casinos are usually a little slow to pick up on teams that are kind of up and coming that nobody expected to be there. I said minus 190. It is minus 170, which okay. I got to be honest with you. I think that's pretty nice if you're looking for an easy favorite. I think yeah. G2 looked worlds better than Giants did last week. Uh, next up, yes, Rockhead versus Elements. Uh, Walter, is this the game where, where Elements uh, continues their, their winning streak, or do you think Rockhat bounces back here? No, I, I think Rockhat bounces back. I think Elements uh, in game one last week showed a very, very clear flaw, which is you camp Ica and you get their mid laner ahead. Uh, I think that Betsy showed quite a bit of improvement from last split in week one. They played very, very well against Vitality. And then even the loss to G2 was... It was like one or two team fights that really kind of ended the game uh, for Rockat. So I'm going to say that Rockat minus 175. Okay, I'm going to get this one as well. I said minus 150. It is minus 160, which I think is unfortunately quite fair. I, I don't think there's really any value on that line. Um, I think that Rockat's the better team. I think that Elements has a mid laner that I do not believe in at all at this point. But uh, we'll see. Maybe Ika takes the leap, and we'll find out. Obviously, we've talked about Orihan quite a bit in this podcast. They're going up against Unicorns of Love in Game 1. Walter, where is the line? Uh, I have it at uh, Orihan minus 180. Okay, I'm going to get this one as well. I said minus 200. It is minus 196. So, I think that's pretty fair. I, I think that Orihan is still a very, very, very good team that may have run into two of the best three teams in Europe last week. And I think Unicorns of Love, I, I mean, I don't mean to take anything away from them, but they beat Giants and they beat Splice, who may be the two worst teams in the league last week. In, so. in, the, long, in the longest average game time in the European LCS. <laughs> Which is not ideal. It's, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's still really. shorter than a lot of the North American game times, but we can't hold North Americans to European standards if we learned anything last week. That's what we learned. Splice versus Vitality. Um, the, obviously, Splice had a rough week last week. Vitality was kind of up and down. Where do you think the line should be, Walter? Vitality minus 300. Okay, you not, get this not, one. Not close at all. Splice did not look very good at all. Splice looked like an absolute mess. I said minus 350 for that very reason. It's actually only minus 272, which is unfortunate because I really wanted that to be higher so we could get the splice bounce back odds. I mean, we already lost two smart bets last week because we bet splice, splice on both games. Splice is not winning this game. Splice is not winning this game at all. Nope, not this one. Maybe Rockat, not this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's a shame. I really wanted Splice to be good, if only because I wanted a team with two guys named Trashy and Wonderware to be a solid <laughs> setup. But, you know, we don't always get what we want. Fnatic versus H2K. Obviously, uh, two powerhouses uh, within the European scene going head-to-head. I got to tell you this, Walter. I got this line exactly. Do you think you can do the same? No, not the way that it's going right now. I have <laughs> H2K minus 180. 
Oh wow! Yeah, you were way off. I uh, I think you way underestimated off. Fnatic. It's minus one thirty for H two K. What? I wh- why are we so convinced that H two K is that much better than Fnatic? Uh, I mean, they kind of crushed their first week opponents, and I think their rotational play was much better. I think that their lanes are more consistent than Fnatic's, just yeah. overall. I like, mean, it, like, like we said earlier, I mean, G- Gamsu was either really, really good or really, really awful, and you had one game where Reckless completely disappeared. So, yeah, I, I think I think H2K is that at this moment is that much better because of just how consistent their lanes were from game to game. Granted, one of their games was against Giants, but still, like, yeah, okay. Well, that's the thing. Do you feel better about a win versus Giants or a loss versus Vitality? That you know. I, we we went into earlier, so I I don't feel like we need to reiterate the point, but it's uh it's interesting to see where that one goes. Uh, Vitality versus Orihen day two. Uh, where do you think this one ends up? I have Vitality the favorites at minus one fifty, but screw the casinos. Oh, thank you for doing that because I win this one now. I said Orihen minus one thirty. It is minus one sixty for Orihen. They're not backing down. Uh, which. I'm not sure whether that's good or bad. I mean, we went into a lot of the issues that we see with Orihen, and I don't think all of those are going away. But on the other hand, do, do you want to pretend like IEM San Jose didn't happen? I, I get why they're doing it. Uh, that said, uh, I can tell you right now, can we just put Vitality plus 131 as a smart money bet this week? I I think so. I, I think that's – again, you're having Vitality is going against another volatile – Two, I'm going to use the word two-faced here, two-faced top laner in Soaz. They're just going to camp, camp the heck out of him, and if OG drafts like they did last week and keep pulling, putting him on these like utility-scaling champions, they're screwed. Yeah, nah, we'll put that as a smart money bet. We'll talk about the other two at the end of this. Uh, Elements versus Giants, uh, obviously uh, the game that everyone's been waiting for, I think, undoubtedly. Uh, two, two powerhouses going toe-to-toe. Where do you think the line is here? Uh, I have the line elements minus one seventy five. Okay, I get this one, and with it the week. Um, maybe, maybe Pinnacle's just not your place. Maybe that's what we're really I, learning here. Hell no! Oh my lord! <laughs> I, uh, I said elements minus one forty. It is Giants minus one twenty five. No, no, no! They were supposed to make elements the favorite, so I could make money off this game. Damn I, it! I mean, minus one twenty five <laughs> is still kind of nice. I'd still... I, that, that's probably a smart money bet, given. It, it Depending probably is. We, we've got three more. Let's, let's keep Go going. Ahead. Fnatic versus Unicorns of Love. Uh, Fnatic minus 180. Okay. I get this one again. I, <laughs> minus, I said minus 220. It is minus 210, which I actually think is a little high. That's, that's a little high. I was expecting them to overvalue Fnatic and undervalue Unicorns of Love. Yeah, uh, I don't feel good about winning that one because I think yours is where the line should be. But Unicorns of Love, plus 170, man. <laughs> I'm just saying, plus 170. It's worth it. It's worth looking into. Just keep it in the back of your head. we got two more. Splice versus Rockat. Splice desperately in need of a bounce-back game. Rockat desperately in need of convincing me that this nobody-believes-in-us fever can keep going. Where do you see the line? Uh, I've got Rockat minus 250. Splice is not a good team. Okay, I get this one as well. Are you? I, I feel 
I'm sorry. Like, I really am. I said minus 200. It's minus 162. I don't, I, I don't understand that line. That's way too low. What did they see in Splice that makes them say, oh, yeah, they got this. Rocket? It's <sighs> close. This is a close game. I don't get it. I, 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 no, makes no sense to me. <laughs> I, uh, I don't, I don't understand sometimes, man. Oh I mean, it's awful. I mean, what are people expecting Spice to do this week? Like, are they just convinced that Yamato Cannon's going to cause some massive turnaround? Cause that's, I don't know. I, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird way to look at things. Uh, unfortunately it gives us no value on Splice, which is the worst part of all of it. Uh, G2 versus H2K, last game of the week. Great game to close on. H2K minus 175. Okay, I get this one as well. I'm so sorry. Oh my Jesus. I said minus 300, it's minus 260 for H2K. This, okay. this was not your week. It's okay. I, nope, this was, this was <laughs> definitely not my week. But see, here, was... here's the thing. If you're gonna lose... I lose... might lose everything <laughs> lose all in one week because it doesn't matter whether it's six four or nine one i get the point so clearly you're just you're getting all your bad bets out of the way that puts g2 at plus 207 is, is um, that worth a flyer on like h2k they play fanatic day one that's an overlook game potentially no i don't think so Okay. I there's something about just the mentality behind H2K from from what we from what we know of a veteran and what we know of Forgiven. I don't think any game is an overlook game. I don't think they're going to overlook any opponent. Well, they don't they don't do uh, solo queue. They just scrim and they just play as as a team, as Forgiven told us. So hey, dynamic queue. There you go. No more solo queue. <laughs> Technically, he's right. Oh god, that's that's but, uh, not where this podcast needs to go. <laughs> Unicorns of Love plus one seventy. Can I talk you into that against Fnatic? Because they could be tilted from that H two K game. I don't necessarily think it's tilt. I think that that Vizichachi and Diamond Prox are playing really, really well together, and they're both they both they've um, combined for for two first bloods. Yeah, like right now, Diamond Prox is the first blood king. Sorry, Yanko. Hey, he'll get there. There's still time. But- but they've looked really, really good, and Spirit was Spirit was as a heavy, like heavy, heavy ganking, but also was farming really, really well. And one of the stats that I found out using Oracle's Elixir, go check it out, was that Uni- Unicorns of Love had like a fifty-seven percent or fifty-eight percent uh, jungle CS score. Mm-hmm. So that means they they had you know fifty-seven or fifty-eight percent of all the possible jungle uh, farm in the game. So I think that's really interesting that it's kind of opened Diamond up and that him and Vizichachi are also going into the jungles and, you know, stealing farm here and there. The one thing I don't like about this matchup is that Reckless and Fabivan are definitely better than Steelback and Fox. That, Steelback like looks really good on Ezreal, though. Like, he might be he like Audrey. Sell, he can peel for himself. Yeah. That's what it comes down to is that he's just able to peel for himself. And if he makes any sort of positioning mistake, he can just, you know, arcane shift back i'm that might be enough against reckless though given how reckless played last week i'm just saying i feel good no, about that that's as a... true I, I i i think we're okay with that one so I'd say, what's I'd take that one what's the last one we go for we could take giants minus 125 against elements we could take i h2k minus 130 against fanatic just go full-on anti-fanatic this week i almost want to take elements over rocket 
Uh, you... not, not to spite you. This isn't. This isn't to spite <laughs> I was going to say thing. you broke my heart right it, there. It, it's it's not a it's not a to spite you thing, but I think that that might be the most that might be the best value in terms of a potential upset. Plus one thirty one. What about? I mean, if we're if we're looking at that, could Giants upset G two? Maybe G two overperformed last week, and I we're think... we're kind of overdue for a uh, for an ex Pepe just monster carry game the the problem with that is i think that uh that kickus and trick mm-hmm. are just that much better than than adam and and Koo. like Koo are you implying well. that uh adam might not be an lcs caliber player i am implying <laughs> i'm i'm very strongly implying he might not be lcs caliber but for giants that that it doesn't matter all that much it's i think giants is if they get back to the playoffs it's it's awesome i think that they picked him up and picked Koo up it with looking at spring and going you know we don't think we're the worst team we're not going to be the best team let's build on it let's see what these two players can do in the lcs and then again if they have to at the end of the year for at the end of the split for relegations or going into next year have to go get a veteran like a dexter or something they can do that um, I, I'd, I'd feel more confident about Elements beating Rocketh than I would Giants beating G2. What about Giants versus Elements? What about We could get Elements plus 103 in that matchup, which feels incredibly safe. Or we could take Elements versus Rocketh, and I reverse jinx for Rocketh this week, which feels like me doing my duty for my team. I think the problem with the Giants-Elements matchup is that Ku did show an ability to gank mid lane yeah and, and in, intelligently and kind of creatively gank for peppy and i don't think ika is very good at all and he showed against g2 that it, all it takes is one gank to just send him tilting off the face of the earth yeah no that's fair okay so we're so gonna take I, I i feel i'd feel more confident with elements over rocket than so elements plus over 131 over rocket vitality yeah. plus 131 over orihan unicorns yeah. of love plus 170 over fanatic okay yep that's We're a... going to lose all three of these bets, but... <laughs> hey, man. Anything is possible. You got to believe. <laughs> you got to believe. But uh, mm-hmm. thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we are now on SoundCloud.com slash eSports Rough Drafts. We have officially moved over to the Rough Drafts name, which is great because it means that you know people can actually feel comfortable going on. We should have more guests like Pyrotechnics coming on in the near future, which would be awesome. You can also find us on iTunes under Rough Drafts. If you search for that, uh, Walter, where can they find you on social media? Well, you guys can find me at Sadie's underscore LOL. And you can also find my articles. I've done uh, power ranking articles for both the North American and European LCS over at medium.com backslash slingshot esports. Awesome. And I, of course, am at Red Shirt King. Hopefully the Imperial esports website will be up sooner rather than later. Because I'd love to get uh, an article I've been working on out to you guys. But I, we will keep you informed on that. Just keep on with all our social media and you'll know whenever any of these lovely projects are being worked on. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.